You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. They got what they asked for. They got what they deserved. Israel will get what they want, and it will hurt them greatly. They have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. See, God had a purpose in not giving Israel a king up to that point. It was because he did not want them to put an ungodly trust in king instead of trusting in the Lord. They wanted a king so badly that they were going to place all their trust in this king and not the Lord. The king would only be a man. In order to be like the world around them, Israel asked Samuel for a king to lead them. And as Pastor Dave reminds you today, they were rejecting God, not Samuel. After all God had done for them, they rejected him in asking for a worldly king. Be careful what you seek in this world that is a rejection of God's reign in your life. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8 as he continues his message, We Want a King. You are Look at their names, Joel or Joel. It means all-powerful God. That was his name. Abijah means God is my father. That was his name. So when Samuel had these sons, he named them godly names. He named them after the God that he served. And he wanted them to emulate him and follow in his footsteps. But they did not walk in his ways. They were dishonest. They took bribes. They perverted justice. This is not an uncommon problem. Samuel should have just looked at, objectively at his sons. It's interesting that he would excuse the sins in them that others would see more clearly. But aren't we all that way? <laughs> aren't we all that way? Not my kid. We're that way with ourselves. I've said this before. I'll say it again. My sin looks horrible on you. Don't look so bad on me, but ugh, on you. Huh. We're quick to judge. We're quick to judge others when it comes to ourselves. It's a common mistake we make with our family, especially our children. But in verses 4 and 5, the elders now are coming to Samuel and they make a request. Let's read it. Then all the elders of Samuel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. R-A-M-A-H was where he lived. That was his home. And they said to him, look, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all other nations. The first thing they say to Samuel is you're old. I don't think that hurt him as much as when they said, your sons don't walk in your ways. Samuel knew he was old. But when they said, your sons don't walk in his way, I think that was like a pierce in his heart. I think that hurt him. The realization of, no, my kids aren't coming along with the Lord. Knowing that some of our children are not walking with the Lord is very heartbreaking to my wife and I. It's heartbreaking. And we lament about it. We cry about it. We pray about it because they're not walking with the Lord. But we know they're not walking with the Lord. It's like a knife in our heart when we think about it. Many believe that it was because of Samuel's absence that the children grew up the way they did. Remember, Samuel was a circuit rider. 
He was a judge and he would go all over the place on his donkey and his horse and he would make judgments about things that were happening. He would stay. He was a dad who was away from home all the time. He wasn't around. And once again, we see the effects and the results of a father not taking his rightful spiritual place. He was a missing father. He wasn't there. What was he doing? He was doing ministry. But ministry is good. Not at the cost of your kids. Samuel did that. We can learn a lot from Eli and Samuel. We need to be praying for God to strengthen us so that we can teach our children the ways of the Lord. We cannot ever get so busy in ministry and our service with the Lord that we forget one of our most important ministries, and that is of our children. I'm guilty of that at times. I'm guilty of that at times. I I confess before you, my congregation, I'm guilty of that at times. I place the ministry above my children. It's not right. I need to confess and repent of it. I need to seek better relationships with my kid. But on one hand, this is wise for the elders to do this. They did not have to accept these leaders who they knew were good and godly and corrupt. So this is a wise choice. The elder says, your kids are, 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 are really bad. We don't want them. So we're questioning this. But on the other hand, it was wrong for them to say, now make us a king like all the other nations. Bunch of little whiners. Well, they have kings. How come we can't have a king? I'm sure you never pulled that act with your parents. But they have a king. We want a king just like all the other nations. The elders were saying, we want to be like the rest of the world. Folks, that's a problem. That's a problem when the Lord told them, come out from among them and be separate. Come out from among them and be separate. We want to be like everyone else. And this is such a dangerous place to be, wanting to be like the world. Why? You know, because the world is full of empty promises. The world makes promises it cannot deliver. The world always leaves you wanting more. It starts out giving you what appears to be good, but soon that good turns into bondage. It turns into bondage and it turns into chains and it drags you down. We get in so much trouble when we want to be like the world. The church struggles with the same things today. I can't tell you how many letters I get or how many emails I get or how many times on my Facebook page it appears, make your church better, make them give more, make them do this, make them do that, follow this way. I get all kinds of stuff. There's a million things out there. It's crazy. It's crazy. James 4, verse 4, clearly speaks of this. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Enmity, an enemy, enmity, a war. You're warring at God. You made peace with God when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you're no longer at enmity with God. You're at peace with God. Jesus said through Paul, by the Holy Spirit, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We may also get into trouble when we want the right things for the wrong reasons. In these situations, I believe it's you have not because you ask not, but when you ask, you ask amiss. You're asking for the wrong reasons. And sometimes God gives us what we want and then deals with us regarding the reasons later. Be careful what you ask for. You just may receive it. 
In verse 6, in verse 6, we see Samuel's reaction to the request. Look at verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when he said, give us a king to us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. First thing we see from Samuel is displeasure. The request displeased him. He knew God was supposed to be Israel's king. He knew that they were supposed to be a theocracy, meaning one ruled by God. A nation completely dependent on God. And many think that it was God's plan all along to appoint or anoint a king for Israel. Many think that eventually God would anoint a king. God knew that one day Israel would have a king. And 400 years before this, God gave instructions to Israel about the future king. You can read that in Deuteronomy 17. How God gives the instructions on Israel as to how they would get a king. A king was in God's plan for Israel. No doubt Samuel was hurt by the rejection of his sons. But Samuel did not get angry. Nor did he rail at the elders because of their request. I love that about Samuel. We can learn a lot about Samuel when we're discouraged pleasure when, when things aren't going our way. Samuel didn't lash back at them. He didn't come back with them with words of hate and, hey, I'm boss here. I'm the judge still, even though I'm old. He didn't throw his weight around. He didn't do any of that. What did he do? He sought the Lord. He went to the Lord. He went to the Lord. I love that. I love that. It's a great example for us. He took all things to the Lord. Samuel had great in spiritual insight. He knew that the request was evidence of the spiritual decay that had plagued the nation, especially in the leaders and his sons. The leaders were in spiritual decay. So why wouldn't the nation be in spiritual decay? When your leaders are corrupt, naturally it'll follow. This is the right thing to do whenever we're displeased. We should never carry such troubles with us. Instead, we should do what Samuel did. Go to the Lord. We should go to the Lord, Lord. Here it is and lay it out before him. I have a lengthy quote from F.B. Meyer. I like F.B. Meyer. He says this, quote, Things do not always turn out as we had hoped, and we get displeased for our own sakes and God's. We had planned in one direction, but events issued another, and results have threatened to become disastrous. There is but one resource. If we allow vexations to eat into our heart, they will erode and injure us. I like that. We must rehearse them before God, spreading the letter before him as Hezekiah did, making requests like Paul, crying out like Samuel. Surely it is a mistake of our life that we carry our burdens instead of handing them over, that we worry instead of trusting, that we pray so little, unquote. Wow. We carry things needlessly. We carry things needlessly. All because we don't go to the Lord in prayer. There's a song like that. We carry these things so needlessly. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Be anxious for nothing but in prayer and supplication. Present your requests made known to God, and the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. But no, we worry. We take it upon ourselves. Samuel went right to the Lord. I love that. I love that. His response wasn't anger, although he felt displeasure. His response was, I'm going to take it to the Lord, and I love it. And look at Samuel's prayer. Read verses 7 through 9. And the Lord said to Samuel, or look at the answer to the prayer. The Lord answers Samuel's prayer right away. The Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say for you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Wow. This was not because their request was good. 
or right, but God was going to teach Israel something through this. See, God always has a plan. God always has a plan. And it's never a backup. It's always the plan. And he makes it working as we go about our ways. And sometimes when we assist on having something bad, God says, okay, here it is. And then we learn the consequences. Uh. Again, in many ways, this was a matter of timing. God knew Israel would one day have a king. He wanted to give Israel the king in his own timing. God's timing is perfect. Because Israel was demanding a king out of bad and carnal reasons, God gave them a bad and carnal king. They got what they asked for. They got what they deserved. Israel will get what they want, and it will hurt them greatly. They have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me that I should not reign over them. See, God had a purpose in not giving Israel a king up to that point. It was because he did not want them to put an ungodly trust in king instead of trusting in the Lord. They wanted a king so badly that they were going to place all their trust in this king and not the Lord. The king would only be a man. A man. Now, Israel was rejecting the plan of God and declaring that they don't want the Lord reigning over them. In the words, they have rejected you, we get a sense of God comforting Samuel. Samuel, it's okay, pal. I mean, you're taking the brunt of it, but you know what? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. What does this tell us? It tells us that when we go out and try to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we go out and try to tell somebody about our Lord and tell them how great our Lord is and how wonderful our Lord is and how they really should have the Lord in their life and how they really should repent of their sins and, and cry out to the Lord for forgiveness and, and, and believe with all their heart that God raised him from the dead and that he died for them on the cross. When we give them the gospel message in order to have eternal life, and they go, no way. Usually we go away and go, what did I say wrong? What did I do? How did I fail? They're not rejecting you. You're rejecting God. Because in the end times, in the end run, it's between them and God. It's between them and God because only God can grant them salvation. You or I cannot. We don't have the power to grant them salvation. But God's saying, it's okay, Sammy. It's okay, bud. It's all right, man. It's easy for us to get rejected personally. We take it personally, but what did Jesus warn? Jesus warned in Luke 10, 16, he who rejects you rejects me. It's the same thing. He who rejects you rejects me. As long as we are not being personally offensive or obnoxious, we shouldn't take it personally, but we do. We do. Israel was forsaking God by asking for a king. They have forsaken me. And so they were doing so to you also. When the elders came to God and asked for a king, they were thinking on better politics or government could meet their needs. More government. More government. I'm not going to say what I'm thinking. More government. More government. Let's have more czars. Let's have all this other stuff. More government. But if they just had been faithful to their king in heaven, they would not have needed a king on earth. Come to this mountain. You will be my people and I will be your God. Serve me on this mountain today. Kind of strikes us as unfair. Had not God shown himself worthy to be their king? Ebenezer, thus far the Lord has helped us. 
Has not God showed himself worthy to be their king? And they're rejecting him. Didn't he demonstrate his ability to lead the nation? Didn't he demonstrate it over and over and over and over again? Yes, he did. Don't be too hard on Israel, folks. Kind of reflect in your own heart. <laughs> kind, of, kind of reflect in your own heart the times when you rejected the Lord. Rejected one of his uh, suggestions, one of his things. Yeah. Yeah. But think about it. In a way, their rejection was kind of prophetic, wasn't it? Their rejection was kind of prophetic. Pilate stood Jesus before the crowd, and said, Behold, your king! (laughs) Didn't they reject him too? Didn't they reject him? So it's kind of prophetic. Kind of prophetic. As we close with verse 9, we see that God is saying, Yes, Israel may have a king, but there's something they should know first. God was basically telling Samuel, Samuel, you will not change their mind, but you need to forewarn them of the consequences of a king ruling over them. Verse 9, now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them in the behavior of the king who will reign over them. I like this. Israel is now free to choose from themselves. Israel, you make the choice. You're free. God has freed you up. You can make the choice, but be forewarned. Be forewarned, Israel. Many times we are tempted to sin and we have a choice, don't we? We have a choice either to enter into that sin or try to refrain from that sin and go to the Lord. Many times we even know the consequences of the sin before we enter into it, don't we? But yet, we still do. We still enter into that sin. But like Israel, we want what we want, and we want it now. We want what we want, and we want it now. See, Israel's greatest sin was not wanting a king to rule over them as such. Their greatest sin was holding their breath and stamping their feet before God and saying, we want them now. We want them now. Demanding God. Directing God. Causing God to move. We want him now. Forcing his hand. They weren't patient and waiting for God to act. Ebenezer, the Lord had brought me this far. Why would he leave now? See, the Lord had a king all in mind. It was some little ruddy young shepherd boy. Some little ruddy young shepherd boy. His name was David. He was the son of Jesse. But he wasn't ready. It wasn't the time yet. It wasn't the right time for the king to be announced. Look at the fact that when they come and they announce King Saul, he came from the tribe of Benjamin, which was evidence alone that they didn't deserve a king because the king would come from the tribe of Judah. He would come from the tribe of Judah. Hosea 13, 11 sums it up. So in my anger, I gave him a king. And in my wrath, I took him away. The greatest judgment God can give us sometime is allowing us to have our own way. Sometimes the greatest judgment that God bestows upon us here on earth is allowing us to have our own way. Psalm 106, 15, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. The Lord is compassionate. He's loving. He's gracious. 
He didn't want to see his people go into this with their eyes closed. He said, fine, if you're going to make this choice, you need to know what's going to happen. You need to know what's going to happen. You need to know what's going to happen when you have a king. Samuel, tell them all the things that are going to happen when they have a king. And that's the rest of the chapter. That's from 10 on down to 22. All the things that are going to befall them when they have a king. And there's an interesting word that repeats itself time and time and time again. There's an interesting word that repeats itself all through this thing. It's the word take. The king is going to take your children. He's going to take your land. He's going to take your food. He's going to take your money. Take, take, take. God's saying, for God so loved the world, he gave. God's a giving God. The king will take and take to support the nation, to support his armies, to support all his royalty, all his czars that he appoints to ride over the people. Take. Read it for yourselves. Read those verses for yourself and count how many times it says the Lord, the king will take. Israel, you want a king? Here it is. But this is what's going to happen to you. Be forewarned. If you've read ahead, you know it doesn't stop them. They still want a king. And we'll read about King Saul when we get to verses 9. I mean, chapters 9 and on through. It's pretty exciting. As I said last week, King Saul kind of starts out like a ball of fire. Kind of starts out pretty cool, trusting in the Lord and really doing some things, but Changes happen. Things go south real quick. So what is it that you're begging the Lord for? What is it that you have to have so badly? Be careful. Be careful. Make sure it's what the Lord wants you to have. Make sure it's what the Lord desires you to have. Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, when you pray for things that the Lord gives you utterances to pray about, they're things of the Lord. They're good things. But sometimes we want what we want and we want it now. And we have to have it. And the Lord says, okay, here you go, buddy. Let me know how it works out. He's a good, good father. Amen. Read through those nine verses again and see if the Lord talks to you about it. Then read from 10 through 22, the end of the chapter. Pretty interesting stuff. What happens is it? There's a real, there's a horrible, horrible caveat in verse 18. A horrible, horrible caveat in verse 18 when the Lord is telling Israel through Samuel that what's going to happen to them if they select a king instead of letting God be their king and ruling over them. He says, talking to Israel, and you will cry out in that day because your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Wow. You are We're so glad you joined Pastor Dave Shank today for A Sure Hope. This study in 1 Samuel has been taking you further into God's process of fulfilling promises 
and it may not look like you'd always want it to. God gave a promise to David when he was young and unequipped to handle the magnitude of what was to come. God still gave him a glimpse to the future though, and we walked with David to help him grow and learn. God's plan included trials along with victories, but he was faithful to David throughout. Right now in our country, we are facing a trial never before experienced. Don't fear, God is as faithful to you now as he was to David. He will bring you through, and you can lean on Him for strength and comfort in the waiting. We'd encourage you to read ahead in 1 Samuel and discover for yourself how God works life out, and let Him encourage you through it. How can we be praying for you during this 1 Samuel study and during this unusual time in history? Please give us a call and let us know at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We are pleased to be able to bring you teachings from God's Word on each edition of Assure Hope. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of 1 Samuel, visit assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Assure Hope.